0: So turn in your Bible to the book of um, 1 Kings. We'll go to 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings. We just studied last week about Elijah, how that he met the uh, 450 prophets of Baal, one against 450. No, it was two against 450. Who was it? God and Elijah. God uses a man. I don't know if God uses committees. God uses a man. God's looking for a man. So you may be the man that God's looking for, or the woman that God's looking for. God's always looking for. He doesn't usually work through committees and stuff. But individuals who are right with the Lord, God can use him, bless him. So he's always looking for somebody that he can show himself strong on their behalf. God always likes using somebody who thinks they can't be used. Because he gets all the honor and the glory. Because whenever it's all over, you say, "More oh, the Lord did that. The Lord did that. And when you try to take too many bows of how great you are, God says, you just stole the honor from me. And fix you. God is a jealous God. It really is. And Elijah had uh, problems with uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Have you ever noticed how many people named their little girls Jezebel? <laughs> somebody told me last week they knew of somebody that was named Jezebel. But Ahab was a, a bad man, and he was the king of Israel. Already had been split, you know. And uh, he marries this woman, and uh, she's not Jewish. And uh, she worshipped the god Baal, and then brought in 450 false prophets, and they had the groves in high places where they would worship, and their altars, and so forth. I think it made God angry. Is it possible for us to upset God, make God mad angry? You know, when you read the stories in the Old Testament, and you see how people angered God, that even though they don't think it's that bad, you know, just like whenever Joshua went in there to take the place of uh, Jericho, and they had a great victory. Wall cities, and then they go up against a little old place like Ai. And there was a man there that stole something. He just stole some garments, some silver and gold, hid it in the tent. Just nothing serious, just stole. And so when they went up, they lost a lot of stuff. People died. Joshua said, well, we don't need a lot of people to, to take them. And yet God allowed them to lose. Because one man in camp did something he shouldn't have done. And it cost a victory. So what did they do to him? They killed him, his family, it's more of his household. And what they don't think is that bad, God says that's really bad. And so sometimes we don't think things are as bad unless you see what God does because of it. Ooh. That must have been pretty bad. Have you ever done something against mom and dad and you didn't think it was that bad and they almost kill you? I almost got killed just because I gave them a dirty look one time. I just looked at my dad strange. That's not a wise thing to do. It wasn't that bad. Oh, I've gotten whooped for a lot of things that I didn't think I didn't deserve that. You know, I come to the conclusion I didn't deserve any spankings I ever got. I was such a good kid. I mean, look at that honest face. You ever seen more honest face? Well, anyway, as we're right here, he's had a great victory. Says there's going to be some rain, and there was some rain. Almost a flood. Chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Look in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Well, that would make Jezebel mad, wouldn't it? Those were hers. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, Go let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, by tomorrow about this time, I'm going to kill Elijah. So here's Jezebel. No, wait, wait, wait. God just gave Elijah a great victory. Great victory. 450 of them were slain. He won. But sometimes your defeat comes right after a great victory. But his was because of depression. you ever get depressed? There's a lot of people who have depression. Teenagers are depressed. People want to commit suicide. All kinds of things that can happen to you. So discouraged. But you see, his problem was he thought, I'm the only one. Poor, poor Israel. I'm the only one left. Well, he wasn't the only one, but... That's what he thought in his own mind. Now, this woman threatened to kill him. Well, he asked to die. He said, "That's God, why don't you just take my life? Well, if you would have stayed here, maybe Jezebel would have. (laughs) It's kind of like I told the kids at camp. I walked into this room one day, and there was my friend hanging from the ceiling with a rope tied around his wrist. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm committing suicide. He said, why didn't you put it around your neck? Well, I couldn't breathe. So, some people are, you know, I want to die, I don't want to die. Yeah, I do it, don't, I don't. And I told him again, I don't want to die. I want to live. I enjoy living. <laughs> living is so much better for me. I just get a kick out of it. But anyway, he ran and ran. So in verse three, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself, Lord, i got a request. What's your request? I want to die. And he says, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father. I am no better. You ought to just take my life. He's already had a great victory, and God did it. He prayed for rain. Rain came. At his prayer, it hadn't rained in over three years. You would think, well, man, this guy's got it together. This is really a truly godly, spiritual-minded man. But you know the Bible describes these people as men of like passion. They're just like us. Aren't there days when you are on cloud nine? And then you can go down so fast. And so you may be spiritually minded today and carnally minded tomorrow. Now, it's not the way God wants, but it does happen. So when you read these stories, just feel here's, here's somebody just like me. You know what this man needed? Uh, this man needed a, a sidekick. You see, he doesn't feel like, you know, I have paid my dues. My time is up. I done not fill my quota. It's time for me to check out of here. But you see, God wasn't through with him yet because he needed to train somebody and prepare somebody to take his place. So God was going to do that. So he makes this statement here in verse 5, And he, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise, and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruse of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. You know, sometimes the way when you don't feel good and things are just not right, if you go to sleep, time passes. But you wake up with the same problem. It didn't go away. Sometimes people run from things by getting involved in doing something else so they don't have to think about it. And sometimes just going to sleep, you hope you'll wake up and it'll be a new world. And it's the same old world. And it didn't help at all. Oh, you may feel a little bit better, but sometimes the problem just doesn't go away just because you take a nap. It makes time pass faster. So he says here in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. In other words, God had a job for him to do. Something more to do. And so he says here in verse 8, And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Now, how would you like to eat a meal that's good for forty days and forty nights? I have never had that happen. I've had enough to last me one day. The next day, i want to eat again. Have you ever ate so much as man? I don't need to eat for a week, and in about four or five hours, man, you're ready to ramsack the whole refrigerator. I've done that. I've gone out when Betty will to get something to eat, and then by the time I get home, walk in the house, put down the stuff, open the refrigerator, and see what we got. And do it and not even be hungry. It's just a habit. But isn't eating a wonderful habit? Don't you like it? That's one of the greatest inventions God's ever made. Eating. Mm, I love it. But anyway, God had something for him to do. But he wanted the Lord to take his life. So he says in the last part of verse 10, I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I'm the only one left, and they want to kill me. And so in verse 11, and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountain, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Sometimes we're looking for some earth-shattering thing to lead and to guide us. Tell us what to do. Speak to me. (laughs) And sometimes it's just a quiet, still voice of something that you read in the Word of God. It kind of says, this is what you ought to do. And the Holy Spirit leads and guides you. And sometimes it's not always the most exciting, adventuresome thing, but that quiet type of courage that you need day by day. You know, not the shooting star, not that flaming, but just that quiet courage that you need day by day to face the problems you got. So, anyway, he says here in verse 13, and it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. So here's a man of God living in a cave. He a caveman. But he, he wasn't a Neanderthal or a Cro-Magnon, huh? a Heidelberg man, Pithecanthropus erectus man, or the Australopithecine man. No, he was just a man living in a cave. And he knows what he says here. A voice that came to him, and it says, what doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing? Do you know who you are? Do you know where you are? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? Sometimes God has to slap us back into reality. And so he says in verse 14, and he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. I am so jealous for the Lord, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Why shouldn't I be discouraged? Why shouldn't I want to just die? But he wouldn't take his life. He wanted God to do it for him. He just wanted to check out of here. Now, if you're in a place like that, somebody's after you, and you're living in a cave, and having eight for 40 days and 40 nights, You might be a little on the discouraged side, huh? You ever been down and out? Didn't have anything? Well, read the Bible. It's amazing these stories are in the Bible. And you'd be surprised how it can affect your thinking and make you feel so bad, so lonely. Poor, poor me. I'm the only one. Well, God saw all of that. In verse 15, And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, he says, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel Mahola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Now look at verse 18, very important. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So, he said, look, the best is yet to come. Now how many miracles did God use to work through Elijah? Seven miracles. Number of perfection, seven miracles. You know what he needed? He needed a sidekick. God was preparing somebody else, but the uh, somebody else didn't know it. And he says, do you know what I've done? So he goes past this young man and he puts his mantle and puts it on him. He says, do you know what I have done? Do you know what I'm saying to you? Do you hear me? So look what he says there in uh, verse 19 this is how God called Elisha. Now it's Elijah and Elisha. See, Elijah's an older man now, and God's going to bring along a a young man. So in verse 19, And so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelve, and Elijah passed by him, and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and says, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. Evidently, Elijah understood why he did that. In other words, he was passing the mantle from him to Elisha. So God had somebody that he was supposed to anoint. Because you see back there in verse 16, verse 16, where the last part of verse 16, and Elisha, the son of Shabbat, he said, of the Abel, uh, Mahola, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room, I mean, in, in your stead. In other words, I want you to go and get him, and he's going to take your place. So God is going to prepare somebody. See, when God had Moses, well, he was also preparing Joshua. So whenever Moses died, God said, as I was with Moses, I will with you. And as I was with this one, I will be with you. And as I am with Elijah, I will be with Elisha. So it's interesting that he says here in verse 21, and he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slew it, and they sat down and they all ate. But he knew what that meant. So here's a man that's out there minding his own business in the field plowing. And a man of God walks by and puts his mantle on him. He said, let me go kiss my mom and daddy, say goodbye to them. So he takes one of those oxes and kills it, you know, a yoke of oxen, killed everybody Ate. I guess i will have a big party. You know, it might have been some great encouragement to the older man of God to have somebody else. He's got to train. And so he went with him and everywhere he went. And later on, there's a, a story that he didn't want Elijah to get out of his sight because they found out that he was going to be taken up in a chariot of fire, that he's going to just, you know, go up in the sky. And so he says, you got to watch him and see him when he goes up and get a double portion. He said, if you see that happen, you'll get a double portion. So Elisha did see that happen. And Elijah kept telling them, you stay here. He says, I will not. He went to another and said, you stay here. I will not. Elijah says, you're not getting out of my sight. Because not only what he did, he wanted to do more. This is why you should never limit yourself by your own limited thinking. Or limit yourself by, well, I want to do what they did. You know, God may have something He wants you to do that's more than what somebody else did. You don't know how much. Man, I want a double portion. I want a triple portion. I want as much as I can get. I guess I'm a little greedy. But now notice. He says in the last part of verse 21, He arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So now he's got somebody to minister to him, to help him, encourage him, whatever but the Bible says this is what was going on. Now, turn to chapter 21. Chapter 21. Time is moving on. Miracles are done. In chapter 21 we have a a very interesting little story. You see, there was some property that was kinda next to uh, Ahab's place, and uh, he, he wanted it. He wanted that piece of land well, they were not supposed to sell their land because that was going to their ancestors on down the road, see? So Ahab says, look, um, I'll give you this and this and this, and um, I'll give you some land that's even better than what you have right here. So in verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. In other words, Against it, and Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, "Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money." So, hey, you can't lose. But the only problem was, it wasn't for sale, and that really made old Ahab depressed. Now here's Ahab, the king. Of all that he does have, he's not satisfied. He wants that one piece of property that belonged to this man. So is he going to just say, okay, well, okay, we'll just forget about it. No, 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 no. He just goes home and whines to his wife. Now you know what kind of a woman Jezebel is. Hey, you're the king. Don't you know who you are? You're the king. And you're going to let that little peep squeak you know? You're the king. You can do whatever you want. You think he would listen to Jezebel? He did. So he says down through here in verse 3, and David said unto Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased. You ought to underline that. In other words, when you don't get what you want, You have expectations. You have a little dream. Well, what if you have the death of a dream? Ever have one? You have visions of grandeur of how you're going to do this or do that in a ministry or, you know, something is great and it doesn't work. You ever get a little discouraged? Well, if you don't plant something, you'll never see anything grow. So you may plant a lot and maybe only a little bit grow. So it's better to do something than nothing. Dr. Lee Robertson came out with a little statement, it's better to aim at something and miss than aim at nothing and hit it. I'd rather aim at something and miss than aim at nothing and hit it. At least you aimed at something. You shot for something. But anyway, now here's a man who's the king, and he's very down, discouraged, depressed, he says, because the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and whined, or turned away his face, and would not eat any bread. you talking about depressed? I'm not gonna eat. I didn't get my way. you talking about throwing a tantrum. He's a grown man, king, throwing a tantrum because he didn't get what he wanted. And that's the end of the story, right? No, that's not the end of the story. He still has a darling wife. But, in verse 5, But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, What's the matter, Booksy? You don't feel good. Why are you so sad? And you're not eating your dinner? Well, and he said unto her, Because I spake in the name of the Jezreel. I, I said, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Now, Jezebel, his wife, says, Well, honey, you have enough. You don't need it. That's be fine. It's okay, Boxy. That's not what she said. So in verse 7, and Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou not govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezrelite. You just listen to me. You don't you worry. I'll get it for you. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. Hmm is that forgery? And sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling uh, with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial—that's that's uh, sons of the devil, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out, stone him, that he may die. So she got it all planned out. You bring some charges against him that he has defied the God of Israel and the king of Israel, and then you take him out, she's already got the verdict down, and execution, already figured everything out. Isn't it wonderful to have a wife like that? They really stand by your man. She's she's a (laughs) helpmeet. Oh, man. God pity every man that's married to a Jezebel. But it says here, in verse 11, And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants in the city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. They proclaimed a fast, set Naboth on high among the people, and there came in two men, children of Belal, and sat before him and the men of Belal, he says, witnessed against him, even against Naboth in the presence of his people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones, and he died. You see anything wrong here? Is this government gone awry? I mean, just taking what they want, doing what they want. That doesn't look very good. I'm glad we don't have a government like this. Now notice, in verse 14, Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but he's dead. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that he rose up to go down, he finally got out of bed, rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. End of the story. No, it's not the end of the story yet. Because God saw what happened. And God tells His prophet. And His prophet has a meeting. See there in verse 70, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Rise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whether he is gone down to possess it. Somebody knows what's going on. You say, why didn't God stop it from happening? God doesn't stop all the evil that people do. He'll let people do wrong things. But it doesn't mean that God didn't see but God is not going to allow things to go unchecked. There's a payment to be made. There's judgment from God coming. See, God is patient. He's long-suffering, but His his judgment is sure. So He says in verse 19, And thou shalt speak unto Him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed, and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto Him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, Shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine? Mm. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. You sold yourself to work evil. And if you sell yourself, there's something you're going to lose. You're giving up something. And there's judgment. There's judgment. Judgment. And then he says in verse 21, And behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that wets against the wall. That's all the men of his lineage. In verse 22, And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebah, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. And for the provocation wherewith, now get this, Thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. See, God sees. God sees all the stuff that goes on. And God gets angry. I believe that what we're doing in America makes God angry. And He will hold His anger for a while. And He may want to take us out of here before He judges America. But that's not a guarantee. We don't know when the Lord's coming back. I wouldn't mind if it came today or tomorrow, but like I told the kids at camp, I enjoy living so much that there's so much I want to do for the Lord. I want to try to accomplish as much as I can, as long as I can, because I know that every day I spend is one day less I've got. You ever think that away? We're getting closer to the end. So he says here in verse 23. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city the dogs shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. And there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. In other words, she stirred him up to do the things that he did, but did God still hold Ahab responsible for what he did? He was the king. He ought to have known that his wife was evil and that she was going to do wrong because something has to happen to Naboth, and she saw to it. So, to be able to, to kill somebody without a good cause that hadn't done you any wrong, just, just murder somebody. And then some people just don't have a conscience. But anyway, God says that He's going to, to judge this. Take your Bible now and turn over to the 2 Kings in chapter 9. 2 Kings in chapter 9. God must have forgot all about it. No, God didn't forget. He remembered. So look there in verse 30. 2 Kings. In chapter 9 and verse 30. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she painted her face <laughs> and tied her head. I don't know if that's teared her head, <laughs> tied her head. <laughs> but she must have tried to be a, a I guess you'd say, uh, a knockout. I wonder what she looked like. I don't know what she looked like. I really don't care what she looked like. But she must have thought she looked pretty good. She painted her face. They say paint is a preservative. That's why the women outlived the men. But I don't know. That's what I heard. In verse 31, and as Jehu entered in at the gate, and she says, Has Zimrite peace, who slew his master? And he lifted up his face to the window. And he says, Hey, who's on my side? Anybody up there? And a couple of the eunuchs, they looked out. Two or three eunuchs. Verse 33, and he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he strove her underfoot. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink. And says, Go see now this cursed woman, and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, and they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hand. That's all that was left. Now, wasn't there a prophecy made a little earlier and that she was going to... Um, die in the very same spot, and be blood in the very same spot, and the dogs would come and eat her up. Must have been a terrible way to die. But God sees down the road. See, a lot of times we don't don't think of the consequences of our negligence. And God says there's a price to pay. You cannot just do whatever you want to do and think it doesn't matter. If God caused, he, he could see what, everything went on. Like got binoculars poking in on you. I saw that, I saw that, I saw that. Boy, you're going to pay for that. And God gets angry. It means if, if he made you do it, why should God get angry with what you did if he made you do it? God didn't make you do things. You can't blame, it. well, whatever the will of God is, you must have been the will of God. No, everything's not the will of God. It's not the will of God that you walk in rebellion, that you sin against God, or you sin against anybody else. That's not the will of God. God didn't make you do that. You're making decisions as you go. And you may make a lot of decisions. And some of those decisions will be wise, and some of those decisions will be foolish. But there's consequences to our rebellion. So can you be rebellious as a child of God? Yeah. Is there a price to pay? Yeah. And it may not come today. Remember the law of the harvest is that you reap what you sow. You reap later than you sow. And you are going to reap more than you sow. So you sow one little corn and you can get a whole stalk with several ears on that corn. And and look how many kernels of corn you got now, all from just one. So you plant one seed, and look what you get later. You get the same thing. So when you sow anger and bitterness and hatred, did you know you can reap what you sow? If you sow peace and joy and love, you sow that, then you can reap that. And so sometimes, you see, you may reap some bad things from bad people, but does God see that? And God can deal with that. That's why vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And God can move and get things corrected. So there is a price to pay, and uh, a man cannot live as he please and get away with it. So these stories are in the Bible, let us say, you know, God is real and alive. And in the New Testament, He tells us all these things about you reap what you sow, and about the chastening hand of God. God chastens every son whom He receiveth. Every son whom He receiveth. He'll chasten you. So it doesn't matter what everybody else believes and agrees with. It's, you've got to learn how to stand for that which is right between you and God. Some people are only as strong as whoever their last ones they talk to. So keep that in mind. But notice what else it says here. In verse 36, wherefore they came again and told him, and he says, this is the word of the Lord which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, Here is the cemetery where Jezebel is buried. This is her tomb right here. No, nobody knows where it is. But I've been to Israel, and they've got the tombs of a lot of the prophets and so forth. So does um, God win? God always wins. And so God is patient. You say, but what about the guy that lost his life? I mean, he was killed, stoned to death. Yeah, but there was a price that the people paid for doing it. If he was faithful and he goes to be with the Lord, do you think God will make it right with him? That's what the Bible says. So God knows what might happen if you stay here. If God was to take you all of a sudden, is it possible that God could have saved you from a lot of things and a lot worse, and He's being merciful to you? But you just don't see it and don't know it. And He may take a loved one, because God knows the future. We don't. We're just supposed to trust Him regardless. But make sure that whatever God does, You don't become angry and upset and bitter toward God. As though God did you wrong. God can't do anyone wrong. He can't do you wrong. So never get mad and bitter toward God. I used to do things that I knew it wasn't exactly right, and then I would get chastened because of it, and then I'd get mad at my mom or my dad because I got punished because of it. Why would I upset with them for them doing what they told me not to do. <laughs> and I did it anyway. My sister did it all the time. And so I, I was a little bit wiser because I watched what they did to my sisters. And I thought, oh, that hurt. <laughs> I saw them just blistered them so much. I said, oh, that, I'm not going to get that. And then come time times I, I did. I, one time I, I stuck a book in my pants. <laughs> and my sister got it before me. And my dad, he tore her up, my stepdad. And, you know, she was just a-jumping and a-hollering, but she was really hurt. And I laughed. I laughed. Because I, I knew I had a book in my pants. Then my dad tore into me. And I hollered. It didn't hurt. But I hollered, and I'd jump, and I'd cry, you know, pretend like. And, and then he'd stop. me saying, you won't do it no more, because you learned your lesson. <laughs> and then my sister, she couldn't stand it because... She got whooped, and I didn't. We both got whooped, but I didn't. She says, Yankee has a book in his pants. And that was the end of my life. <laughs> my dad took that. I had, well, I had. And then he said, drop them, and then he'd kill me. Oh, man. My sister. Was I mad at my sister? Yeah, I was mad at my sister. Upset with me. But did she really do the wrong? I was laughing because she was really hurt. Ah, <laughs> eh, brothers and sisters. Hmm. But there is a price to pay. And so we're not supposed to laugh when some of God's people get chastened. We should pray for them to make a quick correction so that we sometimes we pray a hedge of thorns about them so that what decisions they make when they're in rebellion will hurt them and get them back to the Lord. So we don't want them to be hurt, but we do want there to be a hedge of thorns where they realize this isn't right, this isn't right, and this hurt, this hurt, and it causes them to make the right decision. Father, we thank you so much for your word you've given us and for these things that can help us to see and understand how you work. We thank you for it. blessing our service to follow in Christ's name. Amen.